All right. Are you ready for the word this morning? I think you are, but let me hear it again. Are you ready for the word this morning? Well, last week we started a new series uh, called One Hit Wonders. And we all know what a one-hit wonder is on the radio, where there's a group or band that just has one song that just gets hot. The rest of the album is usually trash, but that one song, everybody knows them for that one song. You may even know that group by name, and you can say, have you ever heard of such and such band? And you say, no. Well, have you heard of the Macarena? You're like, yeah. You know, so like, you know, one-hit wonders. And, uh, and so we're talking about one-hit wonders of the Bible in that there are five books of the Bible that only have a single chapter. And so we're gonna, this will be a five-week series on the five books of the Bible with one single chapter. We kicked this off last week in the book of Obadiah. Now, every time that someone says, turn to the book of Obadiah, you think they're joking because you're like, Oba what? And so you look in the table of contents, and sure enough, you're like, there is an Obadiah. So we, last week we were in the book of Obadiah, and, uh, and uh, we, we kind of read through the story of this prophecy that was taking place against the country of Edom, and really we learned a lot about what it is uh, of how God detests prideful people, didn't we? And, uh, and kicking people while they're down, but then ultimately the hope that comes uh, through that as well. So that was last week, and so if, you, if that interests you, you can always jump online, newlife4kokomo.org, where all of our messages are archived. You can get caught up in the series if you choose. It's great to listen to on your commute to work, or, uh, or you do what I do, and I put headphones in while I do dishes and mow the lawn, things like that. So uh, you can get caught up in that way. But today, we're going to continue our One Hit Wonder series, and we're going to be in the book of Philemon. We're going to be in the book of Philemon. Now, you can turn to the book of Philemon. Uh, the scriptures we'll go through will be on the screen, but I know for many of you, like, if you're like myself, you like to be in your physical Bible. And so if you brought your Bible, turn to the book of Philemon. If you don't have your Bible here today and you want to uh, look in a physical Bible, just grab that orange Bible in the seat in front of you. And if, you, if you're doing that, you can turn to page 816. And uh, you'll see Philemon is just a very, very short one-chapter book uh, in there. And that's also, I tell you what, if you do not own a Bible, listen closely, if you do not own a Bible, I want you to take that orange Bible from the seat in front of you. I want you to write your name in it. I want you to take it home. It is yours, a gift to you from New Life Church. We believe in the Word of God that much. So we're in Philemon, so once you're there, you can just hang out there. Let me help set it up for you. Obviously, the book of Philemon is the shortest book in the New Testament. It is a, another letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he is still yet in another prison when he writes this letter. <laughs> Poor Paul. And we talked a lot about this throughout our summer series through the book of Ephesians. Uh, but finally, this is a letter uh, that Paul wrote to a man named Philemon. Philemon is a very well-to-do I ever do this, a little tighten, the, you know, tighten that knot, you know. Well, he's a very well-to-do Roman citizen that it is likely that Paul met Philemon in the city of Colossae when he, they were planting a church there. And, and that is when Philemon became a follower of Christ through Paul's ministry. Now, uh, later, Paul, uh, one of Paul's friends and co-workers in ministry, uh, Epaphras, he led a community of believers and, and, um, and led a house church. 
So it was a church, a group of believers that met in Philemon's home. So Philemon is the host of a home church, and he's a leader in this home church. And, um, and like many other well-to-do Roman citizens, Philemon owns a number of slaves. We don't know how many, but we know that he has a number of slaves in his household. And um, one of these slaves of Philemon is a man named Onesimus. That's a great name if you're expecting a boy, maybe. Onesimus, and I will never be able to pronounce it. So, I need my wife to help interpret for me. She's really good at that. Onesimus. You should see how I wrote it on my paper so that I would pronounce it correctly, and I practiced it. Uh, Onesimus is one of the, can, I, can, we just make, can we just make a pact right now, that if I butcher any name ever, we'll just we'll go with it, okay? We'll just go with it. Um, actually, when I was a youth pastor, I would just, uh, when I'd hit a name I couldn't pronounce in the Bible, I would just make up my own pronunciation with such confidence that they just thought that's how it was, and that's, <laughs> so th- there you go, that's, that's your hack when you read the Bible, just, just give it your best go and with confidence, okay? So, Onesimus is a slave of Philemon, and through a series of circumstances, uh, Onesimus is, is, he's on the run from Philemon. He, has, he is now a runaway slave from Roman citizen household owner Philemon. Um, we are led to believe that, that Onesimus likely stole from Philemon, or, but he cheated him in, in some way and then fled and, and is on the run. So Onesimus then has gone and found Paul, and he would likely have remembered Paul from maybe from a distance because of Paul's work in Colossae where Philemon got saved and then a new church was started in his home. So Onesimus ultimately knew how to find Paul and so he finds Paul in uh, the prison that Paul was in at the time. So Onesimus is seeking help of some kind. Upon finding Paul, Paul and Onesimus build a great friendship where if you, I'm sure like anybody that knows Paul, Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord and now is a brother in Christ and now is an assistant to Paul while he is in, his ch- in chains. But the, the narrative has reached a point probably of relational tension between Philemon who is hungry for blood he, he, he wants punishment for Onesimus, and Onesimus, who's on the run and is with Paul. Paul, who is a great friend of Philemon, now is a great friend to Onesimus, but these two have, have beef. And so now, with, with this relational tension, Paul pens a letter to Philemon. And uh, he has to be extremely crafted in his words And although Philemon is one very small book in the Old Testament, a very short letter, it is probably thought of as one of the most explosive, even though it is so small. You see, because Onesimus, a runaway slave from a Roman citizen, is 
deserving of incredible punishment. Punishment so great that Onesimus could even uh, lose his life for whatever offense he caused Philemon and for running. So his life is on the line. By law, Philemon would be rightful in punishing Onesimus. But then, so Paul writes a letter to Philemon. And Paul is insisting Philemon to do something that likely has never been done before. So Paul must, as a prisoner in chains, not just to chains, but as a prisoner to the gospel, he is bound to deliver to Philemon what will be some very difficult news to give. So how do you deliver a potentially explosive message in a very tense situation to somebody that you know and you love? Gently. Ever so gently. With both truth and love. How many of you know that sometimes it's easier to deliver bad news to somebody you don't know? If you've ever worked in the corporate world, sometimes uh, when you, it was just black and white. You can, you can walk into a room and terminate somebody's employment because it's just black and white. Something that it is rightful that you must uh, terminate someone's employment. And I've, in, in, a, in a previous life before marriage, you know, I've been a part of a lot of exit interviews is what we call them. Uh, I, I've had to not just terminate employment, but prosecute employees for uh, cheating and stealing from our company. That was, part of, that was my job. Was when, when I walked into a store, uh, everybody there knew somebody was leaving that day, and maybe even in handcuffs. Um, that, was my, that was my role, was to investigate those types of, of events. Also to investigate even cases of harassment, discrimination. And so... Um, so if I ever called you into the office, uh, those people are typically pretty nervous. But it is far easier to, uh, to, to give hard news to people you don't know. But then when you discover that you have to give hard news to a friend, it's very difficult, isn't it? And that is the situation Paul finds himself he has to write a letter, and he knows, he knows Philemon. He knows what is culturally acceptable in that day, that Philemon is owner of slaves, and Onesimus is run, and Onesimus, it, would, it is within legal, the legal, political realm that he could be put to death. But Paul writes a letter, not as his friend, but as a prisoner to the gospel, and he has to give him something that is countercultural, but kingdom, but is correct in the kingdom. So turn with me now, if, we, if you're there, Philemon chapter 1, because there's only one. <laughs> Paul starts off his letter, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Apophia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, Remember? Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. 
because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening, uh, in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me, he's, remember, he's, this is from Paul to Philemon, he's telling Philemon, your love has given me great joy and encouragement. And because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now Paul, this does not sound like Paul is giving this guy a lashing at all. This does not sound like tough news whatsoever. Did you hear how he began this letter? He is essentially encouraging Philemon. Like, man, you encourage me. You're doing good work. And that's, I think that's the first thing that we should know is that we must always have affirmation before conf- confrontation. When you're leading into a confrontation, lead with affirmation. That's the first thing I want you to know today. And Paul's approach is a great example because he knows he has to deliver a really tough message. Because ultimately, Paul is going to he is going to encourage Philemon not to just accept Onesimus back, but to forgive him. And not just to accept him back as a slave, but to accept him as a brother. Unheard of in their day. And it would not likely be well accepted because Philemon is ticked at Onesimus. So he starts off the letter with all of these words of affirmation. He's affirming Philemon. In other words, he is telling Philemon, he's reminding them of their partnership. In other words, he's saying, Philemon, we're on the same page. So remember, we're on the same page. We are partners in this. In other words, before he gets to the confrontation, he gives Philemon affirmation. He's ensuring him, hey, I'm thankful for you, friend. I'm thankful for you. I'm for you, and I believe in you. And then will come a shift in the narrative to the tough news. But he leads with reminding him, hear my heart, friend. I love you. I'm for you. I believe in you. We're partners. And when we have confrontation in our lives and in our relationships, this is an incredible way to lead into that conversation, to say, I love you. I'm for you. I I believe in you, we're partners in this thing, but I need to share something with you. And ultimately, that's where Paul is headed in this conversation. Let me give you uh, an example of how I employed this same tactic in my life. Like I said, um, I have had the unfortunate privilege, (laughs) it's not a privilege I would say at all, Uh, I've had the unfortunate burden um, over in a previous life before ministry that I've had to terminate people for um, for serious um, moral failures and uh, and various disciplinary actions. Well, once upon a time, uh, I I went to a location and they and uh, and I was looking at some reports. And on this report, it showed that there was a particular employee that hadn't just exceeded our company's attendance policy, she had superseded our attendance policy. And I asked somebody, has anybody dealt with Heather? And everybody got quiet. 
I said, has she been written up yet? Which we called it a coaching for improvement. Has she been coached yet? Because according to this report, her next, her next coaching is termination. Like that's, that's how far she's superseded her allowance and in her attendance. And then finally somebody spoke up and said, nobody's dealt with her not even one time. Which means now we have to start at step one, not termination. You know, we don't skip a step. We, we're going to start with the first coaching for improvement. We're going to write her up. And I said, why haven't we dealt with Heather? Why haven't you dealt with this, this person? I said, and ultimately it came out that everybody was afraid of her. Well, you have to understand, she is she's a hard woman. Uh, she has a bad attitude. She's vindictive. And I, and I say, and we let her do whatever she wants? Like, well, we know we need to take care of her, but like, everyone just keeps passing her off to the next person and no one wants to deal with it. I said, when is she due in? She's here. She's here today. Yeah, she's here right now. Call her to the office. And I, and I knew this employee from, from being around. And, um, and so she, she comes in the office and uh, sit her down. And I tell her, I say, I say Heather, uh, I said, you do fantastic work here. You, you really do. And, and, I, and everything I'm, I'm telling her is not a lie. It is the absolute truth. I tell her, you do fantastic work when you're here. And when you're here, I know that myself and others do not have to worry about your department. Um, and honestly, your attention to detail and, and your service to our customer far exceeds those of your coworkers. I, and honestly, if I could replicate your work ethic when you're here to others in your department, oh, it would be a huge win for us. And, I, and then, and then I, the narrative begins to shift. And I, I said, Heather, are you familiar with our attendance policy? She said, yes. I said, has anybody made you aware of where you're at and your allowance of absences and tardies? She said, no, but I know where I'm at. I said, are you? And I said, okay. I said, you do such great work when you're here, but if I could be honest with you, I said, we can't count on you. Like, you do fantastic work and great service to our customer when you're here, but we can't count on you. And uh, <laughs> I told her, I said, I know you take a lot of pride in your work, but when you have an attendance record like yours, that's not pride in your work at all. And it's actually really affecting your department when we can't count on you when you're supposed to be here. It's affecting the morale with your coworkers because they pick up your slack. And it's affecting service to your great customers. And she just kind of hung her head and, and thought about what I was saying. I said, so when you're flipping about your attendance, it's not pride in your work at all. And uh, I, I said, I know I can count on you when you're here, but I, don't, I can't count on you to be here. So then I went on to describe to her how she had far exceeded her allowance for uh, her uh, absences and tardies. And, uh, and I informed her that the that, um, I informed her that my hope was that our conversation 
would be a pivotal moment for her to recognize how she um, affects all of us in her attendance, and that this should have been dealt with over a month ago. And I apologize. I said, I'm sorry that we, you have not had this conversation sooner because we've missed out on a lot of opportunity to probably help a lot of customers. I said, but today, you, you, we are going to have to give you your first coaching because you've superseded what is allowed. And we can count on you, but I want to know that we can really count on you to be here. Can you do that? She said, yes. And so we finished up the coaching for improvement uh, process. And when we were done, I asked her if she had any questions. She said no. She stood up. She shook my hand and thanked me. And uh, there's always another manager in the room. So I had a uh, lower-level manager in the room. As of, like, we, we do that as like witness or whatever. And Heather left, and she turned around and was like, did she just thank you for writing her up? said, she did. You see, I affirmed what was true. You're valuable. You do good work. We can't count on you. And that's a problem. And then I delivered the bad news. We're going to write you up. But allow this to be a pivotal moment that will help you change your habits. And she said, thank you. And left. Everybody was shocked. And they're like, we have other people here that need <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, no, that's on you. Let this be an example of how you can have difficult conversations, and you need to learn that. And how important is it? We, you, listen, if you avoid every difficult conversation in your life, you will bear your burden and theirs. If you avoid every difficult conversation at work, at home, at church, if you avoid it, you are just, you're just piling up the weightiness of that burden. It's exhausting. So, when we, so how do you have confrontation? Confrontation should sound like a conversation. And Paul leads with affirmation. So let's move on. Philemon chapter 1 verse 8, he says, Therefore, so here's the shift in the narrative. He, he affirms Philemon. You're my brother. I believe in you. We are partners in this mission. But therefore, although I could be bold and order you to do what I ought, what you ought, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. So, what, so here's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm the boss. In other words, I am one with authority and I can tell you how it is. And I can do it boldly, and I can order you to do what you ought to do. But I'm not. I'm not. Instead, I'm going to appeal to you. And I'm going to appeal to you through love. You see, in leadership, you have to know that authority is not meant to be thrown around like a sword, but it is influence to use your leadership to appeal to people because if you make someone do something they don't want to do you can get compliance but if you can appeal to them and they voluntarily agree with the mission 
you'll have followers that will do the right thing even when you're not looking because they understand the heart of why we do things, not just, I don't just do them because I'm told to. And so he says, I appeal to you on the basis of love. And so here's the second thing I would tell you. This is what Paul has shown us, is that hard words don't have to be harsh words. Remember he says, I could be bold, but I'm not. I could, I could be bold and tell you what you ought to do, but I'm going to appeal to you in love. Hard words don't have to be harsh words. That's something I think through all the time as your pastor. When there are moments when maybe like God's got a hard word for us, how do we make that palatable so that we, we can really understand it and we can say, man, God's, he really stepped on my toes today, but I ain't running. Like that was a pivotal point for me, not a point where I am going to flee the household of God like Onesimus. So hard words don't have to be harsh words because you can be right in what you're saying, but wrong at the top of your voice. Because tone matters. So husbands, wives, tone matters. It doesn't mean that what you're feeling isn't true. You may feel upset. But hard words don't have to be harsh words. Parents with their children, hard words don't have to be harsh words. For those of you that oversee people at work, hard words don't have to be Harsh words, because you can be right in the content of the message, but wrong at the top of your voice. Proverbs 15.1, this is what it says. It says, a soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I have done both of these things, and I have reaped the repercussions of both. When I, have, when I have been stirred up emotionally and said, we're taking care of this right now. Who do you think you are? And I'm completely right in my anger. But the harsh words spoken only stirred up the situation and made it worse. And I'm thankful that after years of dabbling in both of those things that um, I've learned a lot about soft words and keeping the message on point, same message, but softening it so it can actually be heard and problems can actually be solved. So hard words don't have to be harsh words. And just because you have the authority to say so doesn't mean that you need to say it as so. Because I'm the boss and you're not. Do it or else. When you're in control, you can have it your way, but it's my way. Hard words don't have to be harsh words. And Paul says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what I want, I instead will appeal to you on the basis of the fact that I love you and I've experienced the love of God. Finally, in 1.9, it says, it is none other than Paul an old man 
and now also a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Is Onesimus Paul's blood son? No. Onesimus was, is Philemon's runaway slave. But Philemon's great spiritual leader, Paul, just called his runaway slave his son. That he adores, he's endearing towards Onesimus. And, 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 and we know that Onesimus has, is now a follower of Christ, led to the Lord by Paul. He says, he's one of us. And that Onesimus, he says, it says, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to you and me. Why? Paul is appealing to Philemon saying, listen, Onesimus, he is now a follower of Jesus. And you didn't have use for him before when he was your slave, a runaway slave. But now he's one of us. And he's useful to you and to me for the sake of the cause of Christ. And he's leading him to this point of saying, can you lay down your offenses and see him not as slave, not as someone under your authority, not as someone that has stolen from you, offended you, hurt you, but can you see him like a follower, like one of us, my son, Onesimus. And then he says this, I am sending him. So Paul says, I am sending Onesimus to you. This is, this is, this is risky, right? This is risky for Onesimus. Upon his arrival, what's waiting for him? What tragedy is waiting for him? What punishment is waiting for him? But Paul, with Onesimus, probably reached a point where he's saying, Onesimus, I hear how hurt you are, how scared you are, but you have to go to Philemon. I'll help you, but you have to go directly to him. Otherwise, you're going to have this resentment and unforgiveness in your life forever. So he says, I'm sending him to you. And he reminds him, and Onesimus, it says, he is my very heart. So Philemon, if you're my friend, if, he, if, he, if, if we are united in purpose, this is my very heart. He's no longer just your problem. He is my son. He is my very heart. I'm sending him back to you. Verse 14, it says, but I did not want to do anything without your consent. So Paul's telling Philemon, I don't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor that you, uh, any favor you do for Onesimus would not be forced but voluntary. So Paul is telling Philemon, I don't want you to just do this because I'm telling you to. I want you to truly understand it's the right thing to do to forgive Onesimus, welcome him back, as a brother and not a slave. It's the right thing to do. He says that you wouldn't, it's not forced, but it would be voluntary. Perhaps, he says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever. And maybe for you, maybe the person that you need to forgive most has been separated from you for a little while so that through forgiveness they can be restored back to you forever. 
because maybe you've pushed somebody away because they've mistreated you, offended you, or maybe you're Philemon and they cheated you. And so now there's distance. But Paul says, but maybe the distance was supposed to be temporarily so that it could be restored through forgiveness and you can be back in good relationship forever. And that is what forgiveness will do. And let me remind you that that is our story with God. That it was our sin, we were the cheaters, we were the thieves, that were separated from God because that's what sin does. It separates us from God. But then God made a way to ensure that that separation only had to be temporary. And through forgiveness of sin, we can now have be reconciled with God forever. So this is what he tells Philemon, that maybe this was just supposed to be temporary for a little while so that you might have him back forever. And watch how he says this. This is very bold of Paul to say, and when you have Onesimus back, it's no longer as a slave. You don't own him anymore. He doesn't owe you anything. You will not welcome him back as a slave, but I implore you, implore, implore you but better than a slave, welcome him back as a brother, a dear brother. This is unprecedented for a Roman citizen to, one, welcome back a runaway slave when they deserve death to them, two, to, but to welcome them back better than a slave Elevated to a place of brother. You see why it's a short little letter, short book in the Bible, but it's explosive. Because this was so outside normative behavior of the day. But Paul wasn't going to cave to what his friend would want to do. Philemon would want to punish Onesimus. Paul's bound to the message of the gospel, which is always to forgive which is to forgive and to restore and to welcome people as brother. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And then he goes on and he says, He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him back, as you would welcome me. Wow. Dear to me and dear to you as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So listen, when it comes to forgiveness, for, for, no, for no other greater reason, we can forgive one another because we're family. That you can look at somebody and say, in Christ, you're my brother, you're my sister, and I shouldn't see myself as above you, but no other than my brother and my sister. And that is it. And that is what Paul implore, implores him to do. And so the third thing I'll tell you is that forgiveness has far-reaching social and spiritual impact. Because Paul says that he is both your fellow man and a brother in the Lord. You see, to harbor resentment 
is to allow a vessel of bitterness to be docked inside your heart. And ultimately, is an increasingly growing darkness within you. And when you become resentful, you ultimately are giving that person who wronged you, hurt you, misunderstood you, you are giving them control of your life. And I know this because it, it's all you can think about. You lay in bed at night and you think about it. Every time you see them in person, you think about it. They're, you don't even want to see them in person. You don't want to be in the same room as them. When you go somewhere, you say, I just hope that so-and-so isn't there because I just can't stand to hear their voice. It controls your life and your thinking. You create false narratives of what you think they're probably saying about you. Because resentment ultimately is a bitterness that builds a prison that you live in, but they're free. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. So biblically, confrontation Dealing with resentment, unforgiveness, Scripture tells us to go to them. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. He says, go to him. And Jesus tells us, if there's, there's issues, you go to them, just the two of you. But too many times, people take their offense, they run to social media platforms, they air their offenses, but I didn't name names. I didn't name names. Everybody knows who you're talking about. It's passive aggressive. We run to social media or, or we run to our best friends and we say, can I just vent? Can I just vent for a moment? But venting to other people is simply searching for validation that I can be offended. Will you just agree with me that they're crazy? Yeah, yeah, you're right. That had to be so hurtful. That had to be, and you're like, yeah, 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 they did wrong me, didn't they? Yeah, I know. You well, you sure? The way they looked at me in the grocery store, you'll never believe it? Oh, ne you'll never believe it. Like, yeah, yeah, tell me. How do they look at you? Kind of like this. Like, yeah, just like that. Yeah. And now you have somebody validating your offense, and you ain't never getting out of that thing. You're not getting, that is not beneficial to your heart to go and vent to somebody that, because here's the thing, I know y'all won't vent to me. You'll vent to someone who will agree with you. You won't vent to me, because if you've been around me long enough and you come to me to vent, what am I going to tell you? I'm going to say, have you talked to them about this yet? And when they say no, I say, I see them right over there, right there. Would you like me to go with you? and help you get this conversation started. Oh, 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 no, I think I'm good. I've just been delivered of, for, of my unforgiveness and resentment right now. Okay, if you do need my help, I will help you. That you can go to them and talk to them. And, and so I literally have stopped people in their tracks. Oh, can I, can I just pause you for a second? I'm so sorry, I just wanna pause you for one second. If you don't mind, I, I don't wanna hear any more details. 
is people love to give the details. Like, I actually, I, I don't want to hear any more details. But I really want to ask you is, have you talked to them yet? You haven't? That's your first step. And if that goes really bad, or if it goes really good, would you come back and update me on how it goes? Would you like to pray about it right now? Well, sure. Okay, let's pray. God, and we I pray with them. But I don't want to hear another detail. I'm not going to, to validate them. I'm not going to gossip with them. I'm going to send them to go to them. And Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Go to them. And it can sound like this. Remember, hard words don't have to be what? Harsh words. And you say, hey, um, brother, uh, I don't want anything to come in between us. So can I share something with you? And that's how you start. Far be it that anything ever come in between us. But there's just something I, I need to share with you. And you may not even know that this happened. But this is how it made me feel. And again, I just don't want anything to come in between us. And when you have that conversation with someone that you've been thinking, man, they, they looked at me sideways in the grocery store. I don't think they like me. And then you see them over in the corner talking to some of your other friends. And you're like, man, she's probably, she's probably saying something about me right now. I can, oh, she just looked at me. I know, I know. See, she's talking about me. But when you go and have that conversation, you'll find out they didn't do that at all. Or if they did, you can get to the bottom of why and restore that relationship. You see, the bitterness of resentment, it causes major relational deficits. It affects our relationships. And the thing is, the thing about bitterness and unforgiveness is it always bleeds out into other relationships in our life. Like you think you're hiding the fact that you're bitter, but everybody knows it. They see it. You're not fooling anybody. The answer is forgiveness. Here's the thing. If you're waiting for the other person to forgive first, you'll wait a lifetime. Sometimes to forgive, it feels unjust. Like if I forgive them, you mean they get off free? Like I, they kind of deserve that I kind of punish them a little bit by giving them a cold shoulder for a little while. Like, they kind of deserve that. But if I just forgive them, they get off free? That doesn't seem fair. Um, but yeah, that's how it works. And it's actually more liberating for you than for them. Because that bitterness is just a prison. The answer is forgiveness. So Philemon, verse 18, this is what Paul says to him. And if he... If Onesimus, if he has wronged, if he has done you any wrong, if he owes you anything, charge it to me, Paul says. For I, Paul, am writing this in my own handwriting. I will pay it back. You see, Paul never mentions the cross of Christ. Paul never mentions the gospel. Paul is living the gospel he is the example of the gospel. And he's saying, if he's wronged you, take him back. If he owes you anything, I'll pay it. 
because that is how serious this kingdom, this thing called being a follower of Christ, that's how important forgiveness is, is that I'll pay up if you two will reconcile. And that's what, isn't that what Jesus did for all of us? So the fourth thing Paul, I think his example tells us is to let nothing stand in the way of forgiveness. Let nothing stand in the way. If he owes you anything, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Small price to pay for you guys just to forgive one another and accept them, not as a slave, but as a brother. Colossians 3.13, to the very church that Philemon was connected to, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, watch this, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Think about that for a moment. Well, how much should I forgive? However much Jesus would. Well, how often should I forgive? However often Jesus would. Well, which offenses should I forgive? (laughs) Guess what? Whichever ones Jesus would. Who should I forgive? Again, forgive like Jesus. How quickly should I forgive? Forgive like Jesus. In our house, we always say forgiveness, it needs to happen fast and frequently. It has to happen fast, (laughs) and it's going to happen frequently. Because that is how important forgiveness is, that we don't harbor resentment. And I would tell you that an offended person who cannot forgive is a person that has forgotten what they have been forgiven of. And when Philemon would understand what it meant when he became a follower of Jesus, that alone gave him the courage to go against what was culturally normative and welcome back his runaway slave with no punishments and not even restored back to his job, but welcomed as a brother. It's powerful. And then Paul, he concludes his letter in verse 21. He's nearing conclusion. He says, confident of your obedience. He's saying, Philemon, I'm confident you'll do what is right. You will welcome Onesimus back. You will forgive him on the basis of love. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. The last thought I want to leave you that Paul leaves Onesimus in that last sentence. He, I feel like Paul is telling his friend that you have what it takes to forgive. And that's what I want you to know today. No matter the offense, no matter how frequent the offense, no matter who it is, you have what it takes to forgive. Forgiveness can be a messy process because sometimes it feels like you're reliving all the hurt and pain but it is the most liberating thing you can do. And that is the book, The Philemon.
very short, but explosive. It was a message that would likely be uh, dismissed to most people in Rome. But Paul says, Philemon, you're not most people. You're a follower of Christ. And now I'm calling you to act like one. It was a tough message. But he appealed to him on the basis of love. Would you stand with me this morning? Maybe this morning there's someone that is, you just, they're coming to your mind, they're coming to your heart, someone that you need to forgive. And I want to remind you to forgive like Jesus. Forgive like Jesus. And when there's people that the world would say they're less than, they're not worthy of it, you remember, we don't live in this world. We're from another kingdom. And we apply its principles even when it's not culturally correct. But if it aligns with the kingdom of God, we apply it to our lives. That means sometimes you'll have to bring that type of correction to a friend and say, let me remind you what the word of God says about your situation. And sometimes it may mean you're the recipient of that message. And if someone ever comes to you in that way, you listen well, and you don't pick up additional offense. We're going to sing one last song together, and I just pray that as we do, that the Holy Spirit would just maybe enlighten anything in our hearts that we need to forgive and be free from. And, and maybe you are the offender, and you need to ask for forgiveness of somebody, and I pray that you'd be welcomed back as a brother or sister. God, I pray for everybody here today. Lord, we all know what it's like to have relationships that turn sour or we go through troubles or whatever it may be. Lord, relationships can be a difficult thing, especially when there is sin involved. Someone has lied, cheated, someone has hurt us in some way, or we are the, the one that has hurt other people. Lord, so many of us carry these wounds for years. Lord, I appeal you are appealing to us this morning on the basis of love that we would voluntarily align ourselves to your love and forgiveness and mercy that you have for us and offer it to others as well. As we sing, may the Lord just convict us and bring situations to light that we need to deal with today. In Jesus' name.